Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. This morning, we're going to look at Mark 7. And then he's already sort of teed us up nicely. It's literally like, ready for me to uh, uh, try and sort of unpick something from the Word of God for us. Um, when we're doing that worship time, those of you who might have missed it, there was some talk about birds of prey, flying, soaring, God making us free uh, out of his grace and his coming alongside us and that how that liberates us. Uh, and yesterday at the Festival of Fun, there were some birds of prey that were tied uh, with, with kangaroo leather uh, around their ankles, which the man reassured us was not painful for the birds in any way whatsoever. And uh, it was hilarious when this massive bird flew off his hand and then started like, flying down towards the floor and he kind of had to kind of lift it up. Uh, and these birds are generally well behaved. Um, but there's something about, my mum kind of just reminded us during the worship time, she sort of said, you know, it feels a bit like God's laws, like the rules that come with religion, can sometimes feel a bit like a, a kind of thing that ties us to like a stump like those birds. I mean, these birds were built to like sort of beautiful, amazing creatures. And I understand what like, it's important for kids to learn about animals and it's nice for them to see them, but there is something which would be like, wouldn't it be better if those birds could be there for us, but also able to fly? Wouldn't it have been that much better to be able to see them fly and then come back so we can have a close-up? I mean, you, we can't always do that because we can't control nature, but there's something about what we're talking about this morning, which is kind of law and freedom, rules, regulations, and the grace of God that, that brings freedom. Uh, so, if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Mark chapter 7. Mark is taking some time out of his, remember we, we talked about that in the Gospel of Mark, it's quite kind of bish, bosh, bash, fast paced, lots of stories, lots of stuff happening, and Mark's taking a break and having a, a bit of dialogue, you get to see Jesus in a conversation, uh, and so we're going to look at that. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever said something like this to you, I'm not doing the church, because it's full of hypocrites. Or, I could never be a Christian, there's just too many rules, too many regulations. Or maybe they've looked at you personally and said, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Or, do you behave like that in church? Maybe, rightly or wrongly, you've been accused of stuff in the past, accused of being a hypocrite. And Jesus is talking into this very issue of hypocrisy. So Nana's going to read to us, this, the words are going to be on the screen so you can follow along. We're going to read the first chunk of Mark 7 and we're going to unpack it. So Nana, with a loud voice, read it for us. Um, so Mark chapter 7, uh, starting from verse 1. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they, they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by ancient tradition. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age old tradition? They, 
the eats without first performing the hand washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship, they worship in, their worship is a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you will let them disregard their needy parents, and you will so cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food that you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through your stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is, it is what comes from, in, from inside you that defiles you. For, for from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envies, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what devour you. Right. Thanks so much, Nana. We're going to have a look at some of this stuff. It's a nice thing. When I walked in this morning, here, Luke and Nana kind of practicing their songs, and even how we started the worship, I was like, that's exactly what we're talking about. I hadn't prepped. Uh, and prep then into kind of this is what we're talking about. So this is something that God is is kind of stirring up. Because I think it's just wonderful when, when God does that. So who's involved in this passage? Well, we've got Jesus. This is someone who knows what the kingdom of God is like, what it's like to be with God. And we've got the disciples who are keen to, they want to know what the kingdom of God is like. So they're, they're asking, they're following Jesus. And then you've got the Pharisees, and these are the people that think they know what the kingdom of God is like, but don't actually know what the kingdom of God is like, and actually are going out of their way uh, to stop other people uh, in this situation. So we're going to do a little bit of background on Israel, and then we're going to come and land it and how it applies to us today. So early in Israel's story, that's God's chosen people, if you remember from the Old Testament, God gave them some rules to live by, some laws. Uh, and and the, the purpose of those laws was that, that his people would remain committed to him and he would be committed to them. It's a kind of, hey, let's not forget about each other, right? These are kind of rules of the law. They were there to guard them from going astray. But the nation of Israel has a history of forgetting about God. 
It's silly, really, because that's really the one thing that they needed to remember. Sadly, they did go astray. There was a season in Israel's life, and we're going to talk about it next Sunday, I think, actually, where they go for 70 years, God hands them over to their rejection of him. He says, listen, for 70 years, you can just go somewhere else until you learn and you remember that I, I am your God. Remember that covenant, that, that, just that kind of commitment that we made, you through these laws, following these laws, and me through my promises and my blessing. And so after those 70 years they were in exile, they came back and, and they said, oh, do you know what? We better not forget about God again. That did not go well for us. And what happens is, those laws, those agreements that they kind of agreed with God that they would do, God kind of gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they started adding extra stuff to them. And the motive was right. The motive was, let's not give up on God again. Let's do, we, we, we've got to go extra because the last ones didn't work properly. So they start adding these traditions to the way they do things. And the motive was to not forget about God. Sadly, this is Jesus' direct challenge to the Pharisees because in doing that, they still forgotten about God. They started making a big deal out of all these rules and regulations. And I was like, I must break God's heart. I was like, what are you doing? The one thing you set them up for is the thing that's now the obstacle, the barrier for you to have a relationship with me. Now, all the talk on Israel's history can be easy to misunderstand or difficult to relate to for us in the modern day. So, think about COVID. Okay, we're going, we're going to have conversations about it. We're going to do it. Bear with me. I know COVID cases are on the rise, but we'll, we'll, we'll stick with it. How many people here can still sing happy birthday twice when they wash their hands? No one. No, something never did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> During COVID, there were legal rules, weren't there, imposed on us about not socialising, don't go outside of your bubble. Uh, there were social rules, like singing happy birthday when you wash your hands, or don't sneeze in someone's face. Okay, that those were social rules. There wasn't anything in door written about not sneezing in someone's face, but we kind of knew that would be a bad idea at the moment. These rules, both of the legal ones about not mixing rubber households, or the don't sneeze in someone's face, there's the legal laws, social laws, there's a motive behind them. Let's love one another, or care for one another. Keep yourself safe, keep others safe. That was the NHS narrative, wasn't it? There's a good motive there. The problem is the rules often became the priority, not the motive behind them. I was going to show a, a video clip of some, some ah, funny clip of some people arguing over mask wearing to kind of reiterate the point. It was actually really dark. When I started looking on YouTube of people arguing over COVID rules, I start getting these things of this person, this is the scene before this person killed this person. What? Are you serious? People are losing their life over arguing about the rules imposed during COVID. It's tragic. The rules there to safeguard our neighbours ended up getting people killed. People lost their lives during a debate about how we're going to safeguard lives. And it's a little bit like what we're talking about with God's laws and the rules and stuff like that. It's how you miss the point completely. So basically, the Pharisees are complaining to Jesus. The disciples didn't wash their hands in this sort of special way that, that, that kind of they felt was required. And these weren't God's rules or laws on them. These were the extra stuff that they put on, all the extras. I recently did CPR training, and uh, maybe you know the advert, when you're doing CPR, it's helpful to sing a song when you do it. So, happy 
staying alive, staying alive. Okay, because I think it helps us remember what we're actually doing. Uh, but also, it gives you a certain rhythm that is good for the heart. Of course, you have to know the tempo of the song for that to work. <laughs> this story is a bit like a trained medic coming up to you while you're performing CPR on someone, not criticizing you for trying to help the motive, not criticizing your technique, but criticizing you on your song choice. Are you singing the wrong song? It's like, what? You're missing the point. In the book of Matthew, Jesus summarized all of God's laws into two main laws. We did this a year ago to church. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God's rules or laws are all about love. The trouble with making a rule to love or a law to love is it's kind of impossible to be manufactured. You can't force it. It's, it's very hard. That's why love stories are so special. That's why we, we love Hollywood stories or a good book that's a kind of good love story. Because you, you kind of know there's an authenticity to it. It comes from within. In kids' work, we have some rules. One of them is have fun. So every Sunday, we go through our list of rules and we say, right, you know, don't shout out, don't talk over someone else, etc., etc. One of them is have fun, which is a bit unfair. Really. You can't force the kids to have fun, can you? And when I try, I often make it a lot worse for them. They enjoy themselves a lot less, to be honest. It's true you can try to enjoy yourself a bit more, or you can recognize the things that might prevent you from having fun. You can't force it. And Israel has slipped into this unhealthy prioritization of these traditions, and they forgot about God along the way. And right now, there are church services going on in England and across the world, maybe including our own this Sunday, that are either stuck in or currently making new traditions that could risk us losing sight of God in the process. Here's some examples communion. Last week we did communion. Some of the kids even came and served out some of the bread around tables and we enjoyed remembering Christ together. There is a, an instruction from the Word of God, something we're going to hold on to. That is a, a, something we're going to do. Okay? One of the only few things that, that Jesus requires of the church or his people. He says, do this in remembrance of me, Luke 22:19. But in some church scenarios, only the minister, and only in certain places, can you have the bread or the wine? Only, in, only a chosen person. It doesn't say that in the Word of God anywhere. But it's become a tradition that certain churches have, have done. Or think baptism. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's many churches that will only have the priest or the vicar or the chosen person doing the baptizing. It's become a tradition, a requirement. Traditions they seek in everywhere. One of my favourite things when we worship is this kind of cosmic and kind of personal moment, this exchange between creator and worshipper as we get to spend time with our brothers and sisters. And yes, isn't God great? And it affects us. It kind of churns something up in us and reminds us, oh no, actually, life isn't about 
quickly and my breakfast. It's, there's something bigger going on here. God is looking at our hearts in those moments. He loves it. However, it, it happens in worship as well. As a child, I went to a church similar in values and style, although it was a little bit bigger. And when I was 11, I remember seeing some of the traditions. I thought our church didn't have traditions. I remember seeing some of the traditions in our church. And I'd open one of my eyes during a song. And I'd be checking. Is this a two-hand-up song? Is this a one-hand-up song? Or is it the two-hands-out in front song? I'd be looking around, checking. Am I fitting in here? It's all about, am I looking okay in this arena? It's a performance. It's ridiculous. Does anyone know who the Bible in a year app is? Okay, there's, a, there's an app and you can, it takes you through it and you can kind of read different passages. I'm just going to own up to a couple of things. Um, the reason I own up to in my life is because I think it's a helpful encouragement and it'll lead to something better in a minute. I remember making a commitment to read the Bible in a year through the app. And I'd even be proud and I'd tell other people that I was doing it. But I regularly skimmed through. <laughs> and I earned my little tip. <laughs> Says you've read your Bible today. Tick, tick, tick. Look all the ticks I've got. Sometimes I read it. I'll be reading it while I was like, no, I couldn't do this properly. And then I'm thinking, ah, oh, football transfers. Like, my mind goes off. I'm not engaged with the word of God at all. But I'm doing it. I am reading it. Don't you tell me I'm reading it. I'm thinking, not in our church, surely. This week, I was talking to someone from this church. He says, listen. I struggle with the length of prayers that we have in our church. It seems like full of words, long words, complicated words. I don't have that sort of language. Is that what's required of God? Long words when we pray? Is there a certain length of time? It's not a requirement as such, but it can become a tradition. And we've got to be really careful. One of our friends had some prayer buzzers. These were little things that would buzz every hour to remind you to pray. Now, motive's good. Don't get me wrong, motive is good. It's good to pray. It's good to seek God for things. But when that buzzer goes off, how long is it going to be until that's just a, a, a law, a kind of requirement? You've got to do this. You've got to love God now. It's like, what? Surely, surely the gospel is bigger than that. We can all slip into traditions that are no longer about the heart. They're just about what we do, how we perform, how we look. And the thing is, we've got to recognise when that could be happening. We've got to stay alert. And we've got to wrestle with it. Very often, my prayers are increasingly, actually, as I get older, are, oh, God, align my heart with yours. I'm increasingly aware what God's kingdom looks like is not what's in my heart. And I'm praying, God, help me align my, my thoughts for this person, for this situation, to how you would have that come about. So in verse 9, Jesus has a go basically, at the Pharisees and their traditions and how they missed the point. God had given this instruction for God's people to honour their parents. That was the law, that was the requirement. Honour your mother and your father. Okay, so how are we going to do that? Well, actually, in Jesus' day and, and before, as you got older, you'd rely on your children. I mean, they were fishermen, farmers. The, the kind of How you paid for food was by going out selling your stuff or doing your trade. And as you got older, you were less able to do those trades, and so you were dependent on your children to care for them. But what was happening was there's this 
thing called core value, which is where you, you, you set aside stuff in your life and say, I'm dedicating this to God. Now, I think that's a good thing at, at times, but, but Jesus is saying, yeah, but when you do that, and you forget about the thing that I've instructed you to do, you've missed the point. It's not like, oh, look at all the money that I've given to the church. Well, I haven't fed my kids. I haven't, fed, like, I haven't cared for my parents. Like, what? That's not God's heart. God wants some integrity from us. And Jesus is basically saying, listen, you're, you're wonderful, not with how much you give and you declare and say, this is how much I'm doing. You're wonderful when you just honour the instructions that he's told us to do. And that can be hard, and we're going to look at how God helps us in that shortly. That's verse 6. Jesus said, you hypocrites. As I was right when the prophet said about you, you honour me of your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. That is our prayer. God, don't, don't let our worship be a farce. Let it be true. Let it be honest. Whether that's bad or good, actually. I'd much rather be in an environment where there's a lot of integrity and honesty about I'm just not there. Than trying to fudge through and make something happen. It's a joke, it just won't happen. So people uh, abiding by the rules they create, it, that's hypocrisy basically. It, like, not, sorry, people not abiding by the rules they create is hypocrisy. And we, we don't need to look any further than our own government over the last few years. It's full of it. And what, what does it lead to? Oh, let's look for someone who does it better. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that's probably the case. Certainly some, some sort of political parties would want to sort of toe that line. I think actually what it does is it kind of just crumbles everything. Distrust, bitterness, anger, sickness. There's not really any solution to it other than, do you know, it feels hopeless. I just can't trust people anymore. And that is a big problem. That is especially a big problem when it comes to the church, where we should look completely different. So how can we do that when we ourselves carry these tensions? Before I finish, I want to make two points, relatively straightforward, and then give a solution. Humans look at the outside. We judge others. When reading this passage, I wonder who you instantly at first related to. Was it Jesus? Was it the disciples? Or was it the, the Pharisee? For me, it probably wasn't the Pharisee. I'm like, actually, I don't think about this. <laughs> That's exactly who I relate to. We judge others on outward behaviours, don't we? And secretly, we can feel puffed up. Of course, I wouldn't do that. Of course, I'm better than that. We, we don't like the idea of being judgmental, but there is a kind of problem in that we are actually quite judgmental. And we're surrounded by a culture that must look good, must be doing well. That's why the streets are full of people wearing 200 pound trainers, driving the latest car, got the latest gizmos, phones, whatever. It's all material stuff, but it happens with behavior as well. We look at other people's behaviours and circumstances and make swift judgments, usually on their entire life, based on that one observation that we've had. If we want to see Jesus working through us to our friends and neighbours, it's going to have to start actually not with them, but with us. We'll sort out the pride in our own heart. We fear being judged as well. We, we try and hide our own things. So not only do we judge others, but we fear being judged because that's the way that we see the world working. People look at the outside and they look at what's going on. And we know that. 
And so we put up these little facades, these walls, barriers. We become too good at hiding the sin that eats away at us from the inside. Here's one of the questions I take away from this passage. What would be the thing? So Jesus used the example of honour your, your mother and father, but you're giving all your money away that should be used to care for them. What would be the thing for you? What would be the thing that Jesus used in his analogy that would just cut straight through the me? That's worth taking some time, people, to, to think about. Perhaps we spend more time saying sorry to God for where we're not at than thanking him for the wonderful people he's made us to be. Now, I think there is space for thanking God for his grace in our lives. So please don't hear that that's not what I'm saying. But let's not, let's not get too carried away with it. I also think if the church was consistent with this, those statements that I started with, churches full of hypocrites, just wouldn't be in existence. Because people would genuinely know, no, yeah, like, the church has got people that got it wrong, actually, but they're trying and they're honest about that. What, what a better response the church to look like. So, humans look at the outside, but God looks at the inside. A few weeks ago, kids, right, we looked at the story of King David getting anointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel, this prophet, is told that one of Jesse's sons is going to be the king of Israel. And he goes to anoint the next king. And he sees this eldest son, and here we pick it up, 1 Samuel 16. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliel and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, I imagine you, oh, in my head, he's like beefed up, proper, like, abs to the hill, like, you know, kind of take on the world. Uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> uh, did we read it or not? Right. So, David is chosen now. He's the youngest. He's out in the field with the sheep. And he's known as. A man after God's own heart. There's something inside David that God sees that means he is qualified to do what he's called to do. God doesn't look at the external appearance, what the show that we can put on. He looks at the character of our heart. There's a really good lesson from David that we're going to look at in a moment. He didn't get it always right. So here's the solution. These rules and laws the way that the world works actually is so embedded in who we are into our culture. It's why when we see injustice, it's why I say, absolutely not, not on my watch. It kind of does something in us. From the, I mean, if you're a parent, one of the first cries of your children, it's not fair. Because there's a rule, there's a law. It's got to be fair, right? The standard that God requires of us, sadly, in some ways, is perfection. Don't ever get anything wrong, ever. Impossible. How are we going to do that? If David can't do it. This David monumentally stuffs up as king of Israel. He takes someone else's wife, kills her husband, and we get this response. And this is the character stuff. This is the stuff that God sees inside of David's heart. When he stuffs up, he doesn't, well, he does actually try and hide it for a season until he can't do it anymore. And you get this response in Psalm 51. God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. See, David gets the problem. He sees his weakness. He goes to God and he repents and asks for a new heart. He knows that doing stuff is not going to earn himself a clean heart. 
The Bible says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from wickedness. The solution to hypocrisy and pride cannot be found in ourselves. It can only be found through Jesus. We need new hearts. We need a new way of living. So how can it get done? Hebrews 8, verse 10, gives us an answer. It's a new covenant, a new way of laws to be done. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. So there's no longer a tick box over here where we're ticking stuff off. We carry it within us. Because God's Spirit, as we give our lives to Him, we repent and say, my way is not good enough. Your way is, is the only way. And God says, yeah, listen, let me come on in. I'll do a work in you. I'm going to slowly change you. I'm going to change your heart like David, a man after my own heart. And that's what's going on when God's Spirit comes to live inside of us. So here's quick little solutions on overcoming hypocrisy, pride, the sense of self. Recognise, number one, that the best version of yourself is never going to be enough. Trying harder to be better is never going to work. Until we get that, we can't move on. Recognising that we make mistakes, we confess our sins, we own up to them. We freely accept God's free forgiveness. We're fully dependent on Christ. And we're transformed finally with a new heart. A heart that desires to be united with God. Does that sound like a better solution? Rather than trying to do all this stuff, aren't we being the people that God's created us to be?